My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are here this morning. Maybe I might be just a bit warm. Is that okay? It's always awkward when I say I'm hot. <clears throat> you know, it's just kind of strange. So, uh, thank you. That's much better. Cool. So this morning we're in Mark chapter 13. Uh, I can see the runway for the end of chap- Mark chapter 13. I actually, when I opened my Bible up this morning and laid it up on the uh, pulpit here, I my bookmark was in 14, and this is how I know I'm where my head's at. I'm already kind of moving there, so this is the way this works. Uh, So let's start this morning with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? While you guys are thinking of that answer, good morning, Ron, Nancy, Mom, Josh, and Amy. Glad you guys could join us online this morning. Thanks for that. Uh, But what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Dave, you look like you got an answer. Yeah, but, you know, it's like, you know how I can be a little thick? You can be thick? What? <laughs> so God tends to repeat the same thing <laughs> yeah. over and over again that, you know, things, were, things have always been bad. That's how we got the majority of the New Testament, <laughs> you know? Is it, they were, those, those are all letters of correction. Yeah. yeah, if we were holy, the New Testament would be a lot shorter, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But somehow we've been sold this bill of goods that, you know, all of our leaders are supposed to be, you know, uh, above, uh, more Christ-like than we are. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the best way to put that. And it's just not the case. Yeah. And God keeps using ministries in spite of the leadership. And, you know, and you see that in, in Mark chapter 13 as well. You know, that, yeah, there's, there's thick too, so... <laughs> Yeah, I have been uh, soaking most of this last week on a question that Josh Blair asked me uh, last week about one of the words. Do you you think the disciples got that distinction when Jesus was saying that? And I, it was, um, for those of you that have taught, you know that how you respond in a question in real time really, really matters. Like the most impactful response I've ever had to a question, I was in a I was in Bible college, I raised my hand, asked a question, and the teacher said, and that was his response. He was looking at the text to see what the answer was. And it was this beautiful, wonderful, oh wow, that should be my first response. Well, when Josh asked that question, do you think the disciples got, it was all I could do last week, not to just bust out laughing. No, (laughs) absolutely not. They were in no way, shape, or form getting it and understanding. Like this was, these are all things that the Holy Spirit brought to their mind much, much later. Well, much later, a week later. Um, and, and helped them kind of wrap their arms around what was going on. And I am so, so grateful. We have a printed copy of God's Word. Like just, wow, wow, what a blessing. As opposed to, well, Peter said, and James said, and John said, and... And those were, those, were, those were good voices to be listening to, but and this is what God's been saying to me is that how grateful 
I am, that we have a copy of God's word that we can go back to and go back to and go back to and go back to. And it's not just, you know, he could have set this up where we are constantly getting more and more scripture all the time. He didn't. He could have set this up so that we just had one shot. You get to see scripture once in your life and that's it. He didn't. There's just lots of things that God has embedded into how we operate and how we get to operate that enable us to hang out and listen and understand some of this. So. And I'll emphasize the word some in that sentence for uh, Mark chapter 13, because that's where I am for sure. All right, anybody else? Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Online as well, I'm looking for your guys' answers. So, so Trish, you have the, uh, the joy of being directly in the camera line this morning, so <laughs> nobody ever sits right there, it's hilarious. So <laughs> I didn't warn you, did I? No. <laughs> Oh, me. All right, so let's jump in. Let's read Mark chapter 13. Uh, and as Dave has pointed out before we began this morning, uh, I need to explain why I'm wearing what I'm wearing this morning. So it's got a couple of different reasons. So we'll get to that hopefully too. <laughs> oh, me. I'll crack me up. All right, Mark chapter 13. So just as a reminder, we are, uh, this is the... The last time Jesus kind of comes into the temple uh, area here in this section, uh, he has done the triumphal entry in chapter 11. He's gone in and out a couple of times. He's come back in. He's, he's answering this question that his disciples asked him earlier in Mark chapter 13, and it's a long answer. So just hang tight as Jesus gives a really long answer to this question. So Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in, the, in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation it has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, 
no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man in clouds, with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Mark chapter 13. So in this week's lesson, uh, Jesus goes back to a text that he has taught before and makes reference to something uh, and what, one of the things I, I think is beautiful about what we get to see in this text is that there are layers and waves of what Jesus is doing with what Jesus says. It is not just a, these words are for this moment only, but no, no, I'm going to circle back to them, and I'm going to circle back to them, and I'm going to circle back to them. It is, it is really beautiful teaching in the way that he's setting things up. So we'll... We'll jump back there almost immediately as we get into this text this week. But if you've got your Bibles, here in Mark chapter 13. Let's start with verse 28 today. And the text says, from the fig tree. So pause. Have we talked about a fig tree before in Mark? Yes, we have. Where did we talk about a fig tree before in Mark? It's actually highlighted on your handout. Mark chapter 11. Yes, that's exactly the page. Uh, so let's flip back to Mark chapter 11. Uh, let's look at a couple of the verses here. Um, it's actually two different sections in Mark chapter 11. So in Mark chapter 11, this is immediately after his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Verse 12, on the following day when they came from Bethany, so this is just a couple of miles away, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could see any, he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, right? So that was interaction one with the fig tree. Skip down a couple of verses later, verse 20. 
So in between this, he goes and he deals with the money changers and this uh, corrupt uh, financial system inside the temple. It comes to verse 20, and they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Now, this is not normal. From all accounts and purposes, there was nothing wrong with this fig tree. It just wasn't the season for figs. Verse 20, it had withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you, what? Cursed, yes, because in Bible language, a curse is something you pronounce on someone that deals with their future. It is not one of, you know, George Carlin's seven words. That, that's not what Bible cursing is. It is about some pronouncement about the future. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Wait, what? They just asked him about the fig tree. And now he's talking about mountains. Right? So it's not about the fig tree. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is also in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Does he address the fig tree? No, he doesn't. So once again, the disciples ask him a question, and he gives what they, in the moment, think is a, wait, but you didn't, like, I asked this question because the fig tree is his starting point it's not his ending point so he launches off the fig tree and talks about prayer and faith and actions that will occur in the future so in chapter 13 when he circles back in the middle of this extended answer about when is this stuff going to happen and he says in verse 28 from the fig tree learn its lesson so it's interesting to see what Jesus is doing here because many times in the Gospels, especially in, in Gospels other than Mark, Mark doesn't do it as often as, uh, say, Matthew or Luke might. Uh, but in the Gospels, Jesus will give a parable, he'll give a story, and then the crowds will be wondering, like, what? We didn't really fully understand that. And he'll take the disciples away and he'll explain it to them and show them what the details are, and this is how you apply it, and this is what the big point is. Okay, great, makes sense. This is a couple of days later, right? But he's still wanting them to wrestle and think about what he has taught. So there's, a, there's an underlying uh, teacher's mentality here that we are supposed to continue to wrestle with what Jesus is teaching beyond the instant moment that we engage with it the first time. Does that make sense? Trying to, make, trying to make this too complicated a concept, but this is not just for in the moment and that is it. <clears throat> All right, so one more thing about this fig tree, verse 28. So from the fig tree, learn. And I, I love this word learn that he uses here because there's several words for learn in Greek. This is basically the most generic one you can get. Any way, any mechanism that you can use for learning and there's a lot of ways to learn, right? You can learn by reading, you can learn by doing, you can learn by watching, you can learn by, uh, I don't know, what else? Lots of different things. Imitating somebody else. You can learn by somebody physically putting your hands on something and manipulating and like, oh, this is what this feels like. You can learn by 
repeating what somebody else does. Okay, this makes sense. In any which way you can learn, learn. But again, this is a plural imperative. So this group has a command to learn. Learn from the fig tree its lesson. The Greek word for lesson is parable. Learn from the fig tree its parable. Which helps because he didn't call it a parable earlier in chapter 11. Right? It felt like we're just dealing with something real time, in person, right now. So sometimes, I'll give us this, sometimes what Jesus is talking about is a parable, a parable about something larger without him identifying it or the author identifying it as a parable. Now, not often in the New Testament, but sometimes this does occur, and this is an example. So from the fig tree, learn its parable, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch, this is the twig, becomes tender or soft and puts out, you could translate this, or sprouts, its leaves, which you could also translate sprouts, which I think would be the most awkward translation in the world. As soon as the fig tree sprouts, it sprouts, which in English works. It's a crazy language. Uh, you know that summer is near, that the heat time, the hot time is near. All right, so let's, let's talk about some indicators here for just a second. So now I have worn something. I told you I was going to get to it. I have worn something today that is an indicator of something else. All right. Now, those of you that know me, you don't even have to know me that well. Do I play professional football? No. Thank you for laughing. I was hoping at least somebody would laugh. I was actually expecting a lot more laughs than that. I do not play professional football. I was not built for that. I have not trained for that. I have no skill set in that whatsoever. It would terrify me if you threw, this is a wide receiver's jersey. Uh, it would terrify, the only reason I know that because the person who wore this number was a wide receiver. I don't have all the jersey numbers memorized. That's not my shtick either. Uh, mm, Uber ironic that you would say that. This is his nephew, Jordan Matthews. Now, where did Jordan Matthews play college ball? Vanderbilt. That's exactly right. Thank you. Anchor down. Um, I believe it is true he set the SEC receiving record for receivers for his college tenure. I'm just like, well, that's kind of a big deal. Yes, he was very, very good. He, however... Uh, played four or five years professionally and then got cut, right? Because sometimes you just get cut and that's okay. That's what it is. This last season, he put on 20 pounds and learned a new position and is trying to make the 49ers right now as a, oh no, they go down. tight end. Yes? They catch the ball, right? Yes? Wow, this is awesome. <laughs> if anybody online knows how to Google tight end, I think they catch the ball too. They're bulkier players, they're stockier players, they do a lot of different things, but uh, a little more significant, right? Today is the last preseason game for the 49ers, today at 4 o'clock. If Jordan gets in the game, and if he does well, he might make the team. But what does the preseason indicate? There's a season coming up, right? So Josh Spurgeon, um, he runs a uh, fantasy football league for some of us here at church. 
Uh, it is a uh, $20 pool to play in, and the winner takes most of all, I think. You get second place, you get your, your 20 bucks back, something like that. We have this long-running, he's been doing this several years, we have this long-running joke that uh, at some point, the Sunday is going to fall when the money is due, and I'm going to give him this money from the stage and tell Daryl, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is our long-running joke here. This is really hilarious. But when this afternoon at 1.30 is our fantasy football draft, the fantasy football draft is an indicator of what? Season's about to start. Right. So here's what I want you to think about for just a second. What in your life is an indicator that something else is about to begin? Some season is about to begin. It's a really long intro for that question. What is an indicator in your life that some season is about to begin, Mitch? Tax time, right? Are there different tax seasons of the year? <laughs> it's all just one big blur, and they just keep extending the deadlines, and who knows, right? Yeah. You know. I'm glad you know, because you do our taxes, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, so there are points in the year where, and I actually would argue that I don't need to know and memorize the dates. The news media will start to get really frenzied, and lots of articles come out, and Mitch will actually send us articles and say, hey, you should be thinking about doing this and this and this to get ready for this next season that's coming up. So what in your life is some season? Like what's a trigger that, oh, there's about to be a season of busyness, a season of slowness, a season of whatever it is. I'm curious about your seasons. Weather. Weather, yes. When the news people start talking about hurricane categories, that's an indicator of... Something's going to happen, right? Is there anything going on right now with hurricanes and weather? Yeah. yeah. Ida is about to wreck Louisiana. You know, this is horrible, horrible stuff. I don't know that that's where you were going, but tell me more about weather. You're like the coolest dude. You have a motor. That's awesome. Cool. So, so weather, Im, weather uh, impacts you and what you're doing with motorcycles. Okay, cool. How so? I don't know anything about motorcycles. I was on. A, I rode a motorcycle once, and uh, was it? Okay. <laughs> if it's really cold, you dress appropriately. If it's going to rain, do I really want to ride? Right. Okay. Good points. I think that's reasonable. That seems reasonable. What else? What about your seasons? Yes. You're a cashier at a store, and this last month you've been really, really busy because tomorrow is inventory. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's how I know July is happening. You, you walk into a store and they put Christmas stuff out. It's like, oh, it's July. It's cool. It's like, good. It's good to know. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's lots of different seasons and indicators of this is a trick. Like, hey, 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 this is about to happen. And that's how Jesus is using this fig tree. It's an indicator. It's not about the fig tree. It's about the fig, what the fig tree represents is about to happen. So 
There we go. All right, so verse 29. So, and this word means in this way, not like to a degree of something. So in this way, also, when you see these, demonstrative pronoun, very specific reference to what he has been talking about. These things taking place, you know. Now, this is an interesting word for you know here. This is to know absolutely. This is not the same as the learn word before, is learn in any way you want to. This is a, like, I know absolutely this is true, but this is a present active imperative. This is a present active imperative to be carried out in the future when you see these things taking place. It's a conditional present active imperative. It's crazy stuff. So you've got a future group standing order. You know, what's the next word in your translation? I hear a he. Anybody else? About half modern translations have the word he. About half the modern translations have it. Both are grammatically correct. Because this is a a third uh, singular present active indicative verb. There's actually no pronoun in Greek for this word. It's supplied by the ending of the verb. Thank you, Brian Smith, again, for teaching me this. Um, If the word he is supposed to be correct, then we are talking about the person that is associated with the event. Right? If the word it is correct, then we are talking about the event with a strong head nod to the person who is associated with the event. In either way, you are going to very quickly get back to Jesus. So this is one of those, I actually like both translations here because they both point back to the exact same concept of there's an event and there's one singular person who's associated with this event. And it is really, really significant that it's all driving back toward Jesus. So when you see these things taking place, you know, this is future command, that he is near. At the very gates. This would be the way of saying about as close as you could get without actually being in the space that you're in. In verse 30, truly, or amen, that's the Hebrew word amen. Amen. I say to you, This demonstrative pronoun, generation, will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, let's talk about this word generation for just a second, because this word generation matters. How you understand, how we understand this word generation radically impacts what we're going to do with Mark chapter 13. Now, the word generation itself has two basic meanings in Greek. It can mean a generation. So I'm a generation, my son is a generation, his, my, my father is a generation. Does that make sense? So we got, like, gen, you know, you think about the begats in the Old Testament, generations. You can also think about a generation as the second definition here, an age, uh, the period, or the per- like this longer periods of time. So the question is, Is Jesus referring to a specific 
like slice out of a larger generation or just a generation itself, so generation or an age. One of the things that I would argue that we should do is go back and look and see how Mark used this word previously in Mark's gospel. So if you look at Mark chapter 8, verse 12. Mark chapter 8, verse 12. It's the first time it shows up. Starting in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? He's obviously referring to the Pharisees that are standing in front of him. And could you make an argument that the generation in which we live right now is still seeking signs? Sure. Okay. I think it could go either way there. All right. The next time it shows up is in 838. This is Jesus talking about his death and his resurrection here. Uh, Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Is Jesus only talking about the people that are around him in that generation? Or does that apply to us as well? That applies to us as well, right? We're, we're looped into that one. Like we, we feel pretty good that, okay, this is, a, this is a big generation. It's not like sliver generation. This is a big generation, okay? Mark 9, verse 19. Uh, by the way, this is what Bible study is. Ooh, I see a word. What does that mean? It's got a range of meanings. How else has the author used this word in this work? Welcome to Bible study. Um, Jesus heals the boy with the unclean spirit. Uh, let's see, they, verse 18, his dad's describing the details. He grinds his teeth, he foams at the mouth, throws him down. I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able, verse 19, and he answered them, Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In the immediate context, it feels like he's talking about the generation that's standing in front of him, right? How long am I to be with you? Yes. Could you describe our generation today as a faithless generation? Yeah. Do, Do you see how tricky this becomes very, very quickly? This is one of the reasons that I'm going to come into Mark chapter 13. I'm not gripping this tightly because their words have ranges of meaning. And when you get into prophecy space, it becomes even more complex. Yes, Dave? Well, Jesus didn't know the time. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't have the answer himself for this, right? Isn't that great that that's the only thing we can say that about? Yeah. Jesus? Yeah. Like, that's pretty awesome. That is. That's pretty awesome. What an amazing God. It's really specific. Yes, it is. All right, so let's go back to the text. Verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not, and this is a not-not in Greek, this is a double negative, will not not pass away. And this word pass away means, just means to, um, to pass by or to move alongside, to go away, those types of words. Until, there's a certain point, until all these things take place. You're like, oh, okay. So there's a hurdle that has to be crossed before these other things are going to occur. Yes. In verse 31, he ends this section here. Heaven and earth will pass away. 
future indicative. Lest we get too caught up in consumed with all the stuff that's physically around us, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, again, I got to think Jesus has got a wink here. He's the logos. He's using the word logos. He is the word talking about words. It's hilarious in Greek. But my words will not pass away. Future indicative, it's not going to pass away. He has the trustworthy words. This is what the disciples needed to hear in the midst of this long answer around when is all this stuff going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen before this generation passes away. All right, so let's look at some applications and some personalizations. Hopefully you are woefully unsatisfied with that, and I hope you are. Good. Uh, Application number one, there will be visible signs. You can see a whole bunch of the stuff mentioned in Mark chapter 13. This is not a, like, well, when, like, Something that you can't see. No, 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 no. Like you can see these things. These things can be experienced. So what do we do with that? I would say know them. Right? Know what we're looking for. Really simple answer. Application number two, and I have it in quotes, this generation matters. It's really significant to your eschatology, to your study of end times, and what you believe about that phrase, this generation. Because if you believe it just meant the people that Jesus was talking to in that short span of time of their specific generation in the begat type of definition, that has some pretty significant impacts for, well, so it's all over? What are we in then? Interesting. Uh, Personalized, what do we do with that? Number two, thank God for his patience. Holy cow, right? How patient the father has been how long-suffering his love is to endure this long. Like, it's just unbelievable. The, the theme of the Old Testament is this roller coaster of obedience that Israel is on and the steadiness and the stability of the future Messiah that they got to get off this roller coaster of personal activity and put their faith in the future Messiah and the steadiness there. But to the, what undergirds all of that is the long-suffering and faithful love of God. The Father is incredible. All right, so application number three, uh, Jesus' words will remain and will be shown to be true. And I say will be shown to be true. They are true. I do believe that, yes, but they'll be shown to be true because there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And to say that he is Lord is to accept what he says is true and... His words are not passing away. So what do we do with that? Believe his words. And I have in parentheses in my notes, and repent when I don't. Because there's times when I don't. And then the teacher in me just feels compelled to say this for application number four. Uh, Jesus' parables can have layered applications, right? There's, it's, it's not just a simple one-to-one analogy and then it's over. No, 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 no. It can have really layered applications. Uh, Not the least of which because Jesus Christ is a prophet. He functions as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king in those those categories, in those roles. But as a prophet, remember the mountain that we saw with the different layers of the mountain? You can see like, oh, when's this going to... He's operating in that space as well. 
So I, what I would say for us, what do we do with that? Hear and study whole books of the Bible. Hear and study whole books of the Bible. One of the things that you don't get, and I, I think devotionals have a great place in the life of a believer. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But what you don't get from two minutes and two questions is the connectedness of Scripture, right? And one of the things that I am very excited about is that by the time, Lord willing, we finish the Gospel of Mark sometime next summer, um, you guys, if you've, if you've listened to each one of the lessons, you'll have heard the entire Gospel of Mark somewhere between eight and ten times, which I think is very helpful. And I have something in mind for the very last lesson, and I'm quite excited about it. So you'll have to wait and see what that is. So there's that. Uh, so there will be visible signs. This generation matters. Jesus' words will remain and will be shown to be true. Jesus' parables can have layered applications. So we know them. We thank God for his patience. We believe them, and we hear and study whole books of the Bible. All right, so uh, that's the lesson for today. Lord willing, next week we'll start with Mark 13, 32, I believe is the verse. Yes, yep, 32, which uh, is the last section in Mark chapter 13. So handouts are on the table for next week as well. Handouts are online at OurSundaySchool.com, both for today, last week, all the lessons, all that jazz. I counted a couple of weeks ago, there's something like 450 or 500 lessons online right now at OurSundaySchool.com. So there's a bunch of stuff out there. You might want to go check that out. But don't forget our homework. Uh, pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times. Think about Mark. Talk with somebody about Mark. Share your insights about Mark and then invite a member and a non-member. So those of you here in class, you should have a weekly update on your table. Uh, if you'll put your names at the bottom of that, update any prayer requests, pray as a table, and then you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who is true and right in all that he says and holy in all that he does and worth all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strengths. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.